Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. And welcome, everyone, to the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, along with Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Your government is shut down. Every local school is shut down. But the martinis are being poured on schedule. You're welcome. We're also brought to you today by Stamps.com. Right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners can get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. Go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in three martini. So, Jim, let's start with our good martini. We're in our regular format once again today. Uh, President Trump and California Governor Gavin Newsom are at loggerheads over a lot of money. Last week, one of our good martinis was that Newsom finally realized reality and was massively scaling back California's high-speed rail projects, in particular, the one that goes from San Francisco down to Los Angeles, and I believe maybe even down to San Diego. Nonetheless, uh, because he's scaling that back, President Trump wants his money back, and Newsom doesn't want to give it to him. Here's Chris Holmstrom of KCAL 9 News in Los Angeles. This was Donald Trump and Gavin Newsom three months ago at the campfire, pledging to work together. Tonight, they're going to war over California's controversial high-speed rail project, which the governor just announced he is scaling way back because it is over budget and years behind schedule. The Trump administration is now demanding the state to return $2.5 billion, money Congress already authorized for the project. And Mr. Trump wants to cancel $929 million more that is pending. His demands come one day after California sued him over the border wall national emergency. So a lot of people on the left think that this is retribution for that. Knowing Trump, it probably could be. <laughs> Jim, uh, we're talking about close to $3.5 billion here. I can't imagine what the president might want to do with that $3.5 billion. <laughs> so uh, what do you make of uh, the Californians, uh, the Democrats especially out there saying, oh, you already gave us this money. It's ours to keep. And the president saying, hey, you canceled the project. Give me back my money. Yeah, I, I think in terms of moral standing, the president is on pretty solid ground here. If we allocate you money for X and you suddenly decide, eh, we don't want to do X anymore, uh, you don't get to suddenly say, hey, let's do it for Y. Uh, although my favorite proposal I've seen, Greg, is the argument when you look at train tracks and you turn them on their side, they kind of look like a border wall. <laughs> so you just take what you did, turn it sideways, maybe you got to stack it two or three high, and there you go. It looks kind of like the slats <laughs> they want to put out there. So, um, I, look, I think the argument from the administration is sound. Uh, you can't just get to willingness. Certainly, you know, you're not entitled to any more money. Um, I suppose you could see there's a, uh, some might argue that this is going to make it tougher for a state government to cancel a bad idea. Uh, the question is, how much do you want to wrap Gavin Newsom on the knuckles here for doing what a lot of folks on the right, fiscal conservatives and folks who are always skeptical of this project ever being financially feasible, um, do you want to punish him for doing the right thing? And, and it's kind of an interesting, fair argument here. It's also worth noting, you know, the Obama administration originally allocated, I think it was $8 billion for this money. You know, a lot of governors were very wary about this. I know Rick Scott down in Florida, all the GOP governors who were elected in 2010 were like, look, this, in order to get this money, we have to use a certain amount of state money for this. And we're just not sure the ridership is going to be there. Uh, it wasn't free money, so to speak. And that's one of the reasons you didn't see a lot of these states who you know, jumping onto this bandwagon for this. Um, California was the exception. And that was back in, two, you know, I believe it was part of the stimulus package way back in 2009. 
Um, here it is. We're now in the neighborhood of 10 years later. Not a lot of progress has been made. And I think one of the things that's really agonizing about it for California is that they've now connected the two most rural uh, and sparsely populated communities out of that whole San Francisco to L.A., or even some people were talking San Francisco to San Diego connection of, of those cities there. Um, so, you know, again, there's a possibility you're going to make it tougher for, you know, uh, for lawmakers to abandon bad projects. But on the other hand, hey, California, we gave you the money to do something. You kind of have to give it back if you choose not to complete the construction of it. One last thing kind of throw in here is the recognition that it'd be nicer if the, the you know, Green New Deal advocates and the folks who really love high-speed rail and folks like that would recognize, you know, what, where has this money been spent because they've laid so little track? Well, a whole lot of lawsuits, a whole lot of fights about eminent domain and uh, environmental reviews. You know, does this uh, run across any territory of the snail darter and stuff like that? You could argue that California has higher than expected uh, legal costs for doing a big infrastructure project like this. You could argue they have higher than expected labor costs compared to other states. You could have, you know, all, all, everything in California, particularly in some of these big cities, is going to be a lot more expensive. But the fact that so much of the money had to go, you know, wasn't put towards laying track, wasn't built towards the actual construction of the project, but was built towards mitigating the red tape and working out the details and who has authorization between state, local, and federal, you know, Again, this should be kind of a glaring warning sign to all of the advocates of these projects. These things are never as easy as they look. They're never as, as uh, they almost never come in under budget and they always take longer than promised. And that's one reason why people are reticent. And until that gets resolved, I don't think you can uh, uh, hand wave them as being, you know, uh, Luddites or, or somehow anti-technology or, or just a bunch of naysayers. No, that's exactly right. And it's a pretty simple principle here. You didn't use the money. Give it back. All right. The good thing about uh, money transfers, Jim, is uh, you can just wire it. You don't need to mail it. You can if you want to, I guess. But uh, if you need to uh, get better rates and save a lot of money, maybe not $3.5 billion, but save a lot on your postage, particularly as a small business owner, Stamps.com is definitely the way to go. Postage rates have gone up yet again. And thankfully, Stamps.com can ease the pain with big discounts off the normal retail rates that you would find at the post office. With Stamps.com, you save $0.05 cents off every first-class stamp and up to 40% off priority mail. That kind of savings really adds up, especially for small businesses. Plus, Stamps.com is completely online, which saves you time. No more inconvenient trips to the post office. Stamps.com automatically calculates and prints the exact amount of postage that you need for every letter or package you send. You will never overpay or underpay again. Stamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips. You can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, and any class of mail using your own computer and printer. Stamps.com makes it easy. They send you a free digital scale, which automatically calculates the exact postage. We'll even help you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. Stamps.com also saves you money. They give you postage discounts that you can't get at the post office, including five cents off every first class stamp. Anything you can do at the post office, you can now do from your desk for less. Right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners can get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and a digital scale. See for yourself why over 700,000 small businesses use Stamps.com. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in Three Martini. That's Stamps.com, and enter Three Martini. Your savings are 
are just a click away. Jim, let's move to our bad martini now. And if you uh, think you might get upset about California wanting to keep two and a half billion dollars, well, what if the state wants to keep your DNA? That's what Arizona's looking at. Arizona Republic has the story. The state could soon be one of the first in the nation to maintain a massive statewide DNA database. And if the proposed legislation passes, many people, from parents, school volunteers, and teachers to real estate agents and foster parents, will have no choice but to give up their DNA. Under Senate Bill 1475, sponsored by Republican Senator David Livingston, DNA must be collected from anyone who has to be fingerprinted by the state for a job, to volunteer in certain positions, or for a myriad of other reasons. The bill would even authorize the medical examiner's office in each county to take DNA from any bodies that come into their possession. The Department of Public Safety would maintain the collected DNA alongside the person's name, social security number, date of birth, and last known address. Any DNA in the database could be accessed and used by law enforcement in a criminal investigation. It could also be shared with other government agencies across the country for licensing, death registration, to identify a missing person, or to determine someone's real name. It could also be provided to someone conducting, quote-unquote, legitimate research. So, Jim, I don't think any of us have any trouble with uh, law enforcement collecting DNA from people who have been convicted But uh, to do it for the general population here, and to charge them for it, by the way, a $250 fee could be collected for this, uh, seems like a massive invasion of privacy. Yeah. Greg, am I the only person who watched that 1997 film Gattaca with (laughs) Ethan Hawke and Uma Thurman? Apparently I am. (laughs) It just was dystopian sci-fi in which genetic testing was, was, you know, universal, uh, and people's roles in society were very much determined by their genetic code. Now, whether or not you think this is uh, ever going to happen, uh, when I was writing about Kamala Harris earlier this year, she's a very big advocate of law enforcement going through genetic databases, including ones where, you know, uh, Ancestry.com, 23andMe, all those kinds of ones, and comparing DNA from crime scenes to the people, the DNA you find in these databases. And the second thing is interesting. It's not just like, oh, do we have a direct match? Do we have a familial match? Does the DNA from this crime scene match the family of anyone? And can this narrow down our realm of suspects and stuff like that? And I, this makes me a little bit uncomfortable. Now, I want to catch killers. I want to catch criminals. That's fine. I do notice that the law in California for a long time was if they arrested you, they were allowed to collect DNA. And I remember thinking, well, if the, let's say it's, you know, mistaken identity or the charges are dropped or something like that, the state still keeps your DNA on file. And my sense is, well, wait a second, this, you know, who owns your DNA? Who, who, who has the, uh, um, whose property is it? My, my sense is that this should be the property of the individual. And if you, you know, if you decide to share that with a company that wants to give you some neat, you know, ancestry test, no, all this time, I thought I was Mongolian. It turns out I'm actually French. You know that kind of uh, uh, thing. That you know, if that's your choice, I suggest everyone read the fine print on that sort of thing. But at least you can argue, okay, they they chose to do that. This kind of vast expansion, which the idea of the government should have a giant database of your DNA. There's no way that could ever be abused, right, Greg? <laughs> right. To say nothing of the fact, I mean, you know, again, maybe I maybe I spend enough time reading thriller novels of of both, you know, modern day and near future and all that kind of stuff. Theoretically, once somebody knows your genetic code, if they've got enough 
uh, resources and interests, they could probably engineer some virus to kill you, right? <laughs> Once they know your genetic code, they know all kinds of stuff about you. And I just don't think that's the sort of thing that should be in the hands of the Arizona state government or anybody else's government without their, content, their consent. It's just far too much potential for abuse here. Uh, and I'm kind of, you know, this the land of Goldwater, really? This, this, the, Arizona is suddenly getting into this? It's, it's depressing, baffling. Hopefully it stops because my sneaking suspicion is once one state says, oh, this is terrific for catching criminals and, and stuff like that, everybody should do it. Um, you're going to see this, this spreading from state to state pretty quickly. You know where this idea came from, Jim, right? Uh, Cobra's plan to build Serpentor out of all of the DNA of world leaders back during the G.I. Joe cartoon. That's exactly your fear I was going to guess, that's right? Exactly that's exactly what that's I was going the most for. natural point of, of reference here. My second choice would have been, that's from the meth lab of democracy. Apparently it does ah. exist in Arizona. <laughs> no, no. It used to be the meth lab of democracy, Greg. We know how to handle them. This is like the mad scientist lab of democracy. This is much more frightening. All right. Let's go to our crazy martini now. Jim, there's a uh, young lady who grew up in Alabama a few years ago. At the age of 19, she moved to a hangout with the gang at ISIS. And in CNN says five years and three husbands later, she says she regrets what she did and really wants to come back to the U.S. Her name is Hoda Muthana, and she's written a letter that says in part this. During my years in Syria, I would see and experience a way of life and the terrible effects of war, which changed me. Seeing bloodshed up close changed me. Motherhood changed me. Seeing friends, children, and the men I married dying changed me. Seeing how different a society could be compared to the beloved America I was born and raised into changed me. Being where I was and seeing the people around me scared me because I realized I didn't want to be part of this. My beliefs weren't the same as theirs. Oh, really? Here's the rest of the CNN story. Once described as shy and reserved by a high school classmate, Muthana was fiercely outspoken in her support for jihad after joining ISIS. During the height of the self-declared caliphate, Muthana posted tweets calling for violence, according to the Program on Extremism at the George Washington University. Quote, Hoda was right in the mix for English language propagandists, said terror researcher Seamus Hughes. Quote, we followed her for a number of years. She was a key node. She demanded more Americans come to the self-proclaimed caliphate and join the fight with ISIS. Quote, this is her now. So many Aussies and Brits here, but where are the Americans? Wake up, you cowards, she posted in January 2015. And under the name of Um Jihad, she encouraged attacks in the U.S., tweeting this exhortation in March 2015. Quote, go on drive-bys and spill all of their blood or rent a big truck and drive all over them. Unquote. So, Jim, uh, if she had just gone over there and gotten married and uh, had done so at a young age, you might have a better case. The fact that she was an active, active part of this radical terrorist effort until they became decimated, thankfully, over the past couple of years. Now she wants out. You know, Greg, I had a little bit of fun with this yesterday evening because I'm left wondering, um, what exactly was she expecting when she joined ISIS? What, you know, I, I felt like these guys had their brand identity pretty well established early on. It's not like they used to be mellow and, and then they got kind of hard-edged. Uh, novelist Brad Thor had said, oh, she clearly she was expecting a good dental plan, liberal <laughs> in the sick days, good 401k. How, how do you join ISIS and are suddenly, oh my, these guys are a bunch of extremists. <laughs> you know, this is nothing like what the brochure said. You know, she, she's making it all sound like fire Festival. 
that tropical island where they were supposed to have the concert there. What what were you th- what what exactly did you think you were going to find there? You know, when I made the comparison to Fire Festival, somebody pointed out to Raqqa does have functioning services uh, <laughs> compared to that hideous uh, disaster on the island there. Um, again, you know, you, you know, were you expecting Christmas off? I mean, what what was your expect? What was the breaking point? Oh my goodness, they're beheading people. This is ISIS. It's they're always known to be this sort of thing. So there's this woman. There's a woman over in the UK who. Uh, you know, it's interesting to see these folks come back and left with this this bizarre sense of like, just how deluded do you have to be to to, to come to an ISIS camp and say, whoa, this is. This is nothing like I expected. I expected it to be kind of nice and laid back and easygoing. Nothing like this horrible, uh, extremist, uh, brutal, brutal camp promoting death and violence and, and all of that. Yeah, if she had actually said uh, the ideology uh, really scared me, <laughs> that would have been one thing. She's really upset that the men that she married kept dying, not the fact that they were out there <laughs> trying to behead people. I mean, this... They're, they're not accountants, you know. <laughs> they're, 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 what did you think that you know, the biggest risk was cholesterol? <laughs> the whole world hates you guys and is trying to bomb the heck out of you. What? What were you going to build a condo? <laughs> you know, we could maybe cut a small deal here for exchange for life in prison or something. Uh, if she feeds us information that helps us wipe out the rest of ISIS and just bury them and sow salt in them and so they never rise again, that would prove that she's a little more loyal than uh, I'm willing to believe she is right now. And maybe something could be worked out. Other than that, uh, you made your bet. You can lie in it. Yeah, and also let's keep in mind, we're a forgiving society. Remember Marco Rubio's crime spree with the four speeding tickets? <laughs> yes. Red wine with fish, all that kind of stuff that, you know, this is going to turn into my, my catchphrase in every episode, Greg. Ralph Northam is still our governor, <laughs> right? We're a country that you're pot smoking fine, hired an illegal immigrant as a nanny. Okay, it happened. We're very laid back. Joining ISIS is not on that, oh, I had a youthful dalliance with, uh, with Islamic extremism or something. That's not the sort of thing people can relate to. Oh, yeah, I've been there. Man, you know, yeah. You go on a bender and all of a sudden you're, you're kneeling to Allah and threatening to behead people. No, no, that's not, that's not normal human behavior. That's not within the range of youthful, dumb things kids do. Uh, yeah, no, jo- joining ISIS takes commitment. This is not something, you don't trip and accidentally join ISIS. <laughs> oh, man. Here we are. We didn't even talk about 2020 today, Jim, but we still found plenty of insane things to cover. Anyway, enjoy your snow day. We'll hopefully have a normal day tomorrow. See you then. Not likely, Greg, but I'm looking forward to it anyway. <laughs> hope, springs tomorrow, e- Greg. hope springs eternal. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. And don't forget to visit our friends over at Stamps.com, where you can now get a four-week trial, plus free postage and the digital scale. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in 3Martini. And tune in again Thursday for the next 3Martini Lunch.